This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Monday, the last day of July, 2023. It is July 31st. Tomorrow is August 1st. On the way home from uh, church yesterday, uh, Mrs. Squirrel and I had to stop at uh, Walmart for, uh, oh, I didn't clip my cord away. Hang on just a minute. A little housekeeping detail here. I get that out of my way. There we go. I uh, We stopped at Walmart last night on the way home and all the back to school stuff. And it's just like, gosh, that is just around the corner, isn't it? Yes, it is. So it is August 1st tomorrow. Summer is not winding down, but it's... Uh, we can see the end of the tunnel from here, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not quite ready for summer to end. <laughs> That's just the way of it. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble, and then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to, I guarantee it. All right. What do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Monday, so we got Monday meanderings. So we will uh, talk about a few things that are going on in our world. Mm. And we will continue to sip coffee, the delightful... Coffee is evidence that God loves us. Mm. Good stuff. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. A reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, this morning's devotional is entitled, Slander Equals Murder. Um, And just as a reminder, when I say this morning's devotional, it's the one we're reading today. (laughs) 
it's not the one for today's date. If you've got a copy of the devotional, the reason is we're not reading it on Monday and Friday, uh, Monday, uh, Saturday and Sunday. There are seven devotionals per week in the book. We're only reading five of them, so we are falling behind, but that's okay. This is actually April 15th, <laughs> so just to give you an idea. Uh, Slander Equals Murder is the title today. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, Matthew 5:22b. The word raka, translated by the New American Standard, good for nothing, has been variously rendered elsewhere as brainless idiot, worthless fool, worthless fellow, blockhead, and the like. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was a term of malicious abuse and slander that really has no precise modern translation. David graphically describes persons who use such slander as those who sharpen their tongues as a serpent Poison of vi viper is under their lips, Psalm 140, verse 3. The Roman soldiers who tortured and crucified Jesus could well have used the term to mock and disrespect him, Matthew 27, 29-31. According to Jewish legend, a young rabbi had just come from a session with his famous teacher. Excuse me. Pardon me for just a moment. I apologize for that. My nose just started running like crazy. Don't know why. I thought hay fever season was over. According to Jewish legend, a young rabbi had just come from a session with his famous teacher. He felt especially proud of how he had handled himself before the teacher. As he basked in these feelings of superiority, he passed an especially unattractive man who greeted him. The young rabbi responded, You, Raka, how ugly you are. Are all men of your town as ugly as you? That I do not know, the man replied. But go and tell the maker who created me how ugly is the creature he has made. To slander someone made in God's image is to slander God himself, and is the same as murdering that person. Jesus called such harsh contempt murder of the heart. The contemptuous person was as much as guilty before the Supreme Court, the Jewish Sanhedrin, which tried the most serious cases and pronounced the ultimate penalty death. We dare not trifle with any kind of contemptuous language toward others. Ask yourself. Remember, this is not just an injunction against speaking unkind, judgmental words, but also of thinking them in our minds. When God has led you to seasons of victory in your thought life, how has he accomplished it? What stopped evil thoughts from ever coming up? All right. Okay, Monday meanderings. Yesterday, hope you had a great day at church. Mrs. Squirrel and I did. We drove over to Ovando, Montana, about an hour and a half away, where I was preaching yesterday morning at Blackfoot Community Bible Church. Um, and I, I mentioned to the, the elder who had invited us to come, um, I mentioned to him that I don't think I've ever gotten off Highway 200 in Ovando. This is a little town um, on Highway 200, which is a two-lane highway. Um, it's a little town, um, very quaint little town, but the, the sign as you enter town says, population about 50, dogs about 100. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> that gives you an idea of the kind of town it is. But the church is beautiful. It is a log building from the late 1800s. It's one of the original buildings in Ovando, and it's one of two original buildings still standing. So this is a church that has been in use for over 100 years. Now, I know my European friends laugh at that because they, they are gathering in three, four, five, six hundred-year-old churches or older, um, and I understand that. But, you know, late 1800s, those were, those were pioneer days here in Montana. This was a wilderness in a lot of ways. Um, and so Ovando had this, is a little town, a uh, neat little town, um, but this, this log building is just, it was beautiful. I, I posted some pictures on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, so you can, you can check those out if you follow my personal account. If you just follow the Squirrel Chatter podcast account, you won't see those pictures. So there you go. Um, but until 2000, so just 23 years ago, until 2000, the bathroom was still an outhouse out back. In 2000, they built an addition on the church, which uh, has a kitchen and a fellowship hall and and bathrooms <laughs> exclamation point bathrooms um and this addition doubled more than doubled the size of the church more than doubled the size of the church um but it, it's you know it's a quaint the, the the sanctuary is still the old log building and uh very neat i mean probably i think we had 25 people there yesterday it's summer people are on vacation had some visitors from Syracuse, New York, who just stopped by and came to church, which was which was nice. Um, but it's it's a you know it probably probably seats oh if you packed it full you might get seventy five maybe eighty people in there. I don't know. Um, it, it it's but it's a quaint little church and uh, in a in a tiny town and just had a great, great time with the, with the saints and enjoyed preaching there. And, and, uh, the, uh, the elder that invited me is the camp director at camp utmost, which is the camp I volunteer at. And he was my youth pastor when I was in high school. <laughs> so we've known each other for quite a while. And, uh, so he invited me to preach and, and, uh, then took us out to lunch, and, and uh, at lunch he said, now that I've heard you preach, I'll probably invite you back more. <laughs> so it looks like I might become a, a vandal. They do, they do not have a, a pastor. So the, the elders take turns preaching or getting somebody to preach. That's kind of their plan. So it's a, it's a you know, small church, small church in a small town. Um, that's, that's a typical, you know, rural, rural churches struggle. Um, so think about that. If you are, you know, you've, you've given to your church and, you know, maybe you support a 
you know, radio ministry or something like Grace to You or a, a foreign missions organization like uh, um, Heart Cry or something like that. But you still, you know, have a little bit of money to, to give. Find a local, a, a small rural church somewhere and just say, hey, we're going to support you. And, you know, send them, you know, 50 bucks a month or whatever just to bless them because these little churches, you know, I mean, like I said, Ovando's, you know, a good 40 minutes from Missoula. There's, there's, you know, it's not a convenient. Now, okay, I drive 35 minutes to church. It's not that big a deal, but still, you know, these little communities need solid churches. So if you find a, a, a church like that that you can you can support, I would encourage you to do that. So, but yeah, Blackfoot Community Bible Church in Ovando, Montana, um, preached the same sermon that I preached in uh, Bozeman last week. So it's one of the advantages of being an itinerant preacher. You know, I can write one sermon and preach it in several different places. So I preached on Psalm 2. Um, and I also, I linked to the sermon from Bozeman. So if you would like to, to listen to that. And, and of course, it wasn't identical because I don't r just read a manuscript. But it was the same outline, same, same text, same basic things. So, um, but I don't believe that the Ovando Church... Um, <laughs> I don't believe that they uh, live stream. <laughs> I didn't see any cameras. I didn't. I don't even. I don't know if I was recorded or not. I wasn't mic'd up. There was a podium mic, and in that small room, I didn't need a mic. So it. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, if I was being picked up by the the microphone or not. So that's just the way that is. Oh well, big. Big week of news last week. Stuff going on with uh, the Bidens um, in Washington. We we saw the uh, the corruption is being exposed. The the you've had these IRS whistleblowers testifying about the the money from foreign sources that is being. Um, uh, funneled to the Bidens, um, the the Hunter Biden plea deal fell apart last week, which apparently the the Hunter lawyers were hoping would uh, pass without any scrutiny, but because um, because of the publicity, because I mean it's it's the president's son, and he's involved in foreign business dealings that really do implicate the president. And so their thought that they could get this plea deal through um, without scrutiny was uh, an interesting, interesting thing. But that all fell apart. And so it, this is something to watch. Um, one of the really interesting things was for months, if not years, um, I think years, going back because you know, so much of the stuff has been known, and it's been talked about. Um, obviously, we had the, the the Hunter Biden laptop 
during the 2020 election and the, the, the lies that were put forth that it was Russian disinformation, et cetera, and all turned out to be true. Do you realize how much of the stuff the news tells you turns out to be false? And, and that's, that, that should raise your eyebrows every time a news story comes out. The first question you should ask is, I wonder if that's true, <laughs> because it often isn't. And so the, the, you know, they, they squashed the Hunter Biden laptop story during the 2020 election. Many people have said if they had believed that story, it would have changed their vote. Um, I don't know the exact statistics. So this was open and blatant election tampering. Um, well, now, because of all of the malfeasance that's been exposed in Hunter Biden, you know, um, the, the, they had given him a sweetheart deal to, to, you know, he would plead guilty, no jail time, no real consequences. And the stuff that he was pleading guilty to was not uh, major stuff. This was, you know, he had he had wrongly answered on a gun purchase form that he was not addicted to drugs or something like that. I mean, it, it's, I mean, serious. Not, I'm not saying it's a totally minor deal, but it's not earth shattering. But that was one of the things that he was going to plead guilty to. But there's there's nothing about foreign influence peddling or any of that that we all know he's been involved in. So um, that all fell apart last week. The, the judge looked at it and said no. <laughs> and one of the things that made it blow up was the judge asked... Was it the judge? I'm not sure of the sequence of events, but somebody asked, some, I think it was the judge asked a Department of Justice official at this hearing where the plea, plea deal was rejected if Hunter Biden was under investigation um, for crimes as an unregistered foreign agent because of his involvement with foreign governments and foreign business dealings. And, and uh, when they said, yes, he was, he was under investigation and that was not part of the plea deal, that caused the Biden lawyers to backpedal because they thought they had an under-the-table agreement that that was all going to go away with this plea deal, which probably, if it hadn't been publicly, if there hadn't been such publicity about it, was probably the deal. <laughs> but... They they backed out because oh wait a minute he's not so he pled not guilty there will be a trial um, interesting stuff meanwhile the Department of Justice continues to ignore the Biden administration and the corruption of the Biden administration while going after former President Trump on really minuscule stuff that may or may not be actual violation of the law. It's, and I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Donald Trump personally. I think he's, he's an ego in a suit. 
And a lot of what he does is motivated by his ego. Um, but at the same time, he had a good presidency as far as the things he got done. And he is the Republican frontrunner. And to have the president's political opponent being gone after legally like this over stuff that really, let's just be honest, no other former president has ever been gone after about. Um, this, this thing with the classified documents, there, there have been multiple cases. Well, just look at all the stuff that Biden had in his garage. And in his office at whatever university it was that he, he was supposedly a professor at after he stepped down from vice president. And here's something that don't overlook. The president of the United States has the authority to declassify documents. The vice president doesn't. So how did he end up with boxes of classified documents? Some of them going back to his Senate days, which means that he illegally obtained them because senators aren't even allowed to be in possession of classified documents. Um, they have like a secure room in the Senate's office building, and that's where you go see classified documents, and you can't take anything from there. Um, I forget the name of it, but, you know, they have not only in the Senate office building, they have these facilities elsewhere in Washington, but these are areas that, you know, no data link to the outside world where, you know, you go in there and they close the door. You can't take your cell phone or anything in there. And you can, you know, nobody can hear what you're saying in there. And you can read these documents if you're cleared for them, but you can't take anything out of the room. So that's, that's how senators view classified documents. How did he get classified documents in his possession from his time as a senator? These are questions that need to be answered. So what's going to happen, if anything? The, the House is talking about impeaching Biden um, over these corruption charges. The, the, there are a couple of House committees that have been just exposing this stuff. Um, Comer's committee has put out some very interesting stuff. I think there's more testimony in front of his committee today. So we'll have to see where that goes. But it's, they're probably going to file impeachment, a motion of impeachment in the House if it hasn't already been filed. And the House will impeach Joe Biden. Senate won't commit, won't convict him. Um, not a single Democrat will sign on. I, I just don't see that happening. Because it's not about truth, it's not about justice, it's about politics. And and they are not going to go after that. But at the same time, we're seeing a big pullback from Biden on the Democrat side. And for the first time, I'm starting to wonder... Are they going to put somebody else forward for president in 2024? They're going to have to make a move soon 
if they intend to do that. But you've got all this corruption stuff that's raising its head. You've got um, his obvious, um, let's just say mental deterioration and physical deterioration. You know, I mean, the man's old. And I'm not faulting him for being old, but there are consequences to being old. Um, I mean, he fell asleep in a chair in the Oval Office while visiting with a foreign dignitary in front of cameras uh, last week or the week before. Um, just watching that video is scary. So poor guy he's meeting with is looking around like, what do I do now? Because the President of the United States just fell asleep in a chair. <laughs> Um, while I was talking to him, while we were carrying on a conversation, you know, he's, he's, he's a doddering old grandpa who's finally acknowledged his seventh grandchild, the illegitimate daughter of, of, uh, Hunter Biden. Um, so there's all sorts of stuff going on there, but that brings up an interesting conversation I had this weekend. Should preachers talk about politics? Now, obviously, this is a podcast. It's not a sermon. I'm not standing in the pulpit. I'm not in a church. I'm in my trailer house in the woods. Um, so talking about, you know, stuff here, it's not the same thing. But, you know, should anything be mentioned about politics from the pulpit? And there's a lot of people that no, you just never talk about politics. And I think that's absolutely wrong. And the reason I say that's absolutely wrong is where politics touch on theology, we need to talk about it. For example, in the conversation, I brought up the fact that if you went back to the 1960 election when John F. Kennedy was elected, and you look at the party platforms of the Republicans and of the Democrats, both of them are virtually identical. The parties officially stood for the same things. And both of the platforms in 1960 were much more conservative than, excuse me, either party is now. <laughs> so think about that. You know, there's no left or drift. Oh, yeah, there is. So you think about that, and you go back and you look about that. And now look at the party platforms today. Now, in all honesty, you know, Republican politicians are, by and large, just as ungodly as Democrat politicians. There are, it's like... If you have time, go find the, go to the, the Grace Church website, um, California. Look for the Sundays in July series because they do a series of lectures in July. They, they uh, forego their normal, I've talked about it before, they forego their normal fellowship groups in July and they have a series of lectures from elders at the church, from uh professors at the seminary, professors at the university, where you can, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a break from the normal year. They do the Sundays in July and, 
it's there's always good stuff. Well, Dr. Greg Frazier, who is the history professor at the Masters University, um, head of the humanities department, um, I've never met him, but I have listened to his stuff. I've read his books. He, his specialty, if I can put it this way, is the religious beliefs of America's founders. And he goes through and he lays out the fact that they were not all Bible-believing Christians by, you know, the Bible-believing Christians were, as always, in the minority. God works in remnants. But they were not also, they were not the deists that, that uh, secular, um, secular folks put forward. They were what he calls rational theists. They were they were enlightenment rationalists who believed that there was a God, but they had no personal relationship with that God. But they did believe in a in a God who, you know, was not the remote God of the deists. He was an, a a present God who was active in the the universe. Um, so it's theistic deism. And uh, one of the things he points out was they were, they were typical politicians. When you lis listen to their speeches, um, they use vague language which secularists can interpret as not really believing in God. And the, the Christian America group can look at as, oh, yeah, see, he was a Bible-believing Christian. Um, for instance, in the Declaration of Independence, there is mention of a creator, the God of nature, uh, but he's not identified as Yahweh, and there's no mention of Jesus Christ. There's lots of talk about the Constitution being a Christian document, yet there's no mention of God in the Constitution at all. And in the Federalist Papers, I don't believe there's much mention of God. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, they were not, you know, it wasn't a room full of John MacArthur's and John Piper's and, and, and uh, uh, Paul Washer's who drafted the Constitution. <laughs> um, so, you know, keep that in mind. And modern politicians are just the same. There are a lot of politicians who claim to be Christian who aren't. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, just, it's, it's just a fact. The, and, for instance, <laughs> former President Donald Trump claimed to be a Christian, totally denied any need of repentance and appointed as his spiritual advisor, Paula White, who is a heretic. You know, he's had heretics at rallies. He's had weird, and yet there's this strange cult-like devotion. There is a cult of Trump that has developed. Um, 
I I remember, and and you probably do too, people talking about Trump as if he was the Messiah. And there's even a book. I, I've got a copy. I was going to review it for the podcast, but when I got into it, it's like, I don't know that I'm even going to finish reading it. Um, just really bizarre, but it's, you know, basically saying that, that Trump is the Messiah, but the guy who wrote it has some really weird beliefs. Um, he's not a Christian, <laughs> um, obviously, but there, there has been a cult-like devotion to, um, Donald Trump, um, which is, is frightening. And, and like I said, I thought he was a good president as far as the things he got done. I just wish he'd, have, you know, shut his mouth, um, sometimes. And I think, I mean, if, if Donald Trump had one-tenth of the character and communicative ability of Ronald Reagan, he would have just been phenomenal. But he doesn't have the character. He doesn't have the character. I mean, I don't believe he's a super criminal. I don't believe he's corrupt like I believe Biden is. Um, but his personal character, the, all the women, all the affairs, we all know what happened. You know, he is a, an egotistical billionaire. He's a, a rich playboy. He's a, he's an aging rich playboy. And I remember when Donald Trump first showed up on the scene, you know, when he was between wives, he was, you know, he had all the, the Hollywood starlets on his arms and he was, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, he was showing up at parties in a tuxedo and a limousine and, and, you know, it was the eighties and that was, that was then. And of course, all of his wives have been beautiful. <laughs> you know, he's been marrying these supermodels, including his, his current wife, who seems to be an awesome human being. Um, uh, Melania. She seems she was a great first lady, and I he like I said he did a good admirable job as president, but he does you know he needs Jesus, <laughs> and so many do. Um, but as I said, you know the the political parties have very much diverged, and and while I you know I see a lot of uh, um, self serving. Uh, politicians in the Republican Party, just like I do in the Democrat Party, the official party platforms. When you look at the Democrat Party official party platform, they stand in favor of the murder of unborn children. They stand in favor of the genital mutilation of children the chemical mutilation of children. They stand in favor of all sorts of things which are damaging to our society and are flat-out anti-biblical and anti-Christ. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I won't tell you what politician to vote for, and I don't think a pastor should from the pulpit, but we can sure tell you, you know, when 
somebody is a anti-God pagan who shouldn't be voted for. And anybody who espouses the murder of unborn children should never get a Christian's vote. And, and I kind of feel the same way about the transgender issues and all of that. And, and that's one of the big problems I have with Trump. He's not, he's not um, biblical on any of these issues, you know. Um, and so, you know, should preachers talk about politics? Yeah, I think so. And I think there's precedent for it. There's huge precedent for it. Um, because, I mean, biblical precedent for it. All of the all of the kings, all of the prophets of Israel spoke against the ungodly kings of Israel, or Israel or Judah, the divided kingdom. When the king was doing something bad, the prophet was speaking against them. And look at the, look at the hostility between Ahab and Elijah. <laughs> and God would not let Ahab touch Elijah, but boy, he was calling him out. He wouldn't call him out on political issues as much as he was his 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 worship of false gods um and probably a lot of that was because the political issues how to put it um the the societal day-to-day -day issues nobody was nobody was destroying society like modern marxists in in that uh, in the vein of just total economic destruction, destruction of the family, all of that that is taking place from the left primarily. And it's from the left in both parties. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Uniparty because there are a lot of, there are a lot of politicians in Washington who are interested only in power in Washington. And they're interested in the government retaining and increasing its power. This is why, while they talk about small government, so many Republicans get into power and the government gets bigger. The government never gets smaller. The government needs to get smaller. A lot of government people need to be out of work. A lot of government agencies just need to go away. A lot of the stuff that the government is doing is not the government's job, and they shouldn't be taxing us to do it. And that comes from both parties. And it is destroying society. But the political left in the United States, in Europe, in, in much of Western culture, in all of Western culture, the political left has set out to destroy any vestige of Western civilization and Christian uh, biblical worldview. It's a, it's a goal, and they are moving towards it. So yeah, I think preachers should talk about politics. Not in the sense of endorsing candidates, not in the sense of becoming political organizations, but when stuff comes up, when there is an example that, you know, I mean, sermon illustrations, <laughs> you can, you can make a sermon illustration with a politician who's in the news as, you know, but there's, there's all sorts of stuff in the law of Moses about, you know, not taking bribes and not being corrupt and not, you know, being a fair judge, 
not being swayed by all of these things. So there's a, there's a lot of that in the law. And yes, we need to proclaim that. And we need to be telling our politicians, these are the standards. And yes, that should be coming from the pulpit, from the churches. Yeah. The, in the, the, the church of Jesus Christ should be the conscience of a nation, meaning we need to point out evil and encourage good. We can't enforce it. We don't have, you know, the church should not have the sword. That's the state's job, and that is to punish wrongdoers and to defend those who do right. But at the same time, the church is the organization that should be helping the state see right and wrong. So we should be the conscience of a nation. All right. Um, Redeemer Bible Church, Gilbert, Arizona. Um, John Benzinger, a friend of mine, pastor there. Um, they have been doing a summer series on the end times. Um, from a premillennial dispensational point of view. Um, I had lunch with John earlier in the month of July, and uh, he was up here on vacation, and we talked about the series, because he, he had started it and then went on vacation and left, and they rotated through the elders, each of them talking about different aspects of the end times. Well, they wrapped it up this weekend. Now, understand, Redeemer Bible Church in Gilbert has five services. I believe it's five. Five services every weekend. Um, three on Saturday, two on Sunday, or two on Saturday, three on Sunday, something like that. Um, because the church is much bigger than the facility. So they hold five services over the weekend. Five identical services normally. Which is why the last sermon on Sunday is always the one I want to listen to because that's where John doesn't have another service coming. And he, he usually gives what he calls the director's cut of his sermons where he, he'll add material in because um, he doesn't have to clear the auditorium for the next, uh, next service. Um, but this weekend... Instead of a normal sermon, they did a Q&A with Dr. Michael Vlock. Now, Mike is a uh, um, seminary professor. He is at, at Shepherd's Seminary in North Carolina, um, professor of theology there. He was professor of theology at the Master's Seminary for many years. Also a friend of mine. Um, love Mike. Love the stuff that he puts out. Um, just, he's one of the sharpest, sharpest pencils in the, the drawer of dispensational theology right now. Um, really, I, I look at, uh, at Mike and I look at, uh, um, Matt Wehmeyer and, and these, these two guys are two of the guys who, who I will pick up every book they write as soon as it comes out because they're, Coming from that dispensational premillennial point of view, they are the guys right now who are at the 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 point of the spear, as it were. So um, so John had Mike 
uh, doing a Q&A um, this weekend after the, or during the services and in the sermon time of the services at Gilbert, at uh, Redeemer and Gilbert. And the thing that they did was they had received, during this series, they had received almost 100 questions from the people at the church asking for clarification on this or that. Um, thing that was discussed. So that was the basis for the Q&A with, with Mike. And so each of the five services, they're covering different questions. I watched, uh, I watched three of them last night, and it's good stuff. And as I said, Mike is always good stuff. Mike is always good stuff. He's, he is, uh, and and I say it because I don't agree with him on absolutely everything. Um, we take some different positions on on some stuff. Um, we're in general agreement for sure. And like I said, he's one of the the sharpest pencils in the drawer. Um, great guy. Um, I, I, I've enjoyed the times I've gotten to spend with him over the years. Um, until he until he left Masters. I used to spend about an hour in his office every Shepherds Conference. I'd go down and, and we'd we'd text back and forth and say, Hey, I've got some time. So I'd pop up into his office and we would just sit and talk. And we'd talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, not just eschatology, but I mean just great guy. Fun to be around. Um like I said, read his books, good stuff. Search out Redeemer Bible Church's YouTube page and watch these Q&As. Now, right now, you've got to watch five different services. Um, you know, so, you know, fast forward through the music, get to the get to the talking point, but each of the services is different because they're doing just a, a Q&A between John and Mike as they're going through the questions that have been submitted by the, the, the people at Redeemer for uh for the uh, on the topic of the end times but the whole series is great um i thought they did a good job now i was i was texting john last night because i said i've been watching this it's great stuff um and i i uh i said i'm gonna i'm gonna download them all today and edit them together into a supercut so i can just watch all the q a back to back um and he said yeah they plan to do that Two on the on their YouTube page, and they're also going to put out a short video of each individual question. So that'll be that'll be a useful resource. But right now, as it stands right now, because you know it's Monday morning and yesterday was Sunday, right now you've got to watch all the weekend services to get all the Q and A. I think there's five of them. I think they they meet five times. It's three on Saturday, two on Sunday or two on Saturday, three on Sunday, something like that. But uh, good stuff. Um, check it out. It's it's uh, well worth your time. Um, like I said, anything from Mike Vlock is worth your time. Um, but he, he handles the questions well. Um, and the thing I like about Mike is he's not hostile. To those of different positions, he doesn't belittle people or put them down. 
where I've often seen in theological disagreements, not just eschatological disagreements, but any theological disagreement, um, you look at, you know, discussions between, you know, Arminians and Calvinists, and very soon it can become, you know, name-calling. Same thing with, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians. Same thing with, you know, you know there's all, all sorts of theological positions that quickly degenerate into name-calling and recriminations. And Mike doesn't do that. Mike is very gentle. He's very, you know, he's, he's open with the fact that there are good and godly men with whom he disagrees on eschatology um, and other things. I mean, I, I think about, I know some amillennial Presbyterian guys who I disagree with on church polity. I disagree with on modes of baptism. I disagree with on covenant theology. I disagree with on eschatology, who are good and godly men who I respect greatly. And, and to have any sense of, you know, the, the, the hostility doesn't need to be there. The mockery doesn't need to be there. You know, there, we're not talking about heresy. We're not talking, we're talking about disagreements over doctrine that are not foundational. I'm not going to say they're not central, but they're not foundational. We're not talking about the deity of Christ, his miracles. You know, we're not talking about the, the, you know, believe the gospel and you'll be saved. We're not talking about, you know, grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. We're not talking about the inspiration of scripture. We're talking about what truly are secondary doctrines. Now, it, I'm not saying they're not important because they're biblical. It's, it's something that, that we should come to understand and we should study. But at the same time, we can have disagreements on these things without the hostility and the mockery and all of that. And and that's one of the things I really appreciate about Mike is he very much is just, hey, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. This is why I think these other guys are wrong. But he does it without any mockery and without any derision. It's, it's uh, that's one of the things I respect him for. All right. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray, and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy. 
forgive us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Now the Collect for the Renewal of Life. O God, the King Eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns the shadow of death into the morning, drive far from us all wrong desires, incline our hearts to keep your law, and guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today. I wish you the best of Mondays. The, as you get the week started, I hope it goes well for you. Remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.